I want to highlight a couple of things very, very quickly for you. Uh, some things you've heard, but as you're coming in, a couple of things. Uh, next week, we have King's Brass. Uh, you know, we have this little card here that says some of the events we have coming up. We passed this out a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're happy to say the King's Brass is going to be indoors, so it doesn't matter if it rains. So we're good to go. Next week, if you've got some friends, some family members, some folks that like music, this place will be filled with music. As the King's Brass come, they, we try to have them here every couple of years. Um, they lead us in worship. The whole service will be theirs, uh, both services. My hope would be that you would bring someone. Uh, it's a great introduction to the church. Anyone who loves music and loves the brass, uh, Tim Zimmerman, we've known him for years. He's a leader of that team. We'd love to have you come and be a part of that. When you came in this morning, you got this card. It's M25. Uh, M25 is our, is our uh, hands-on uh, ministry to helping people eat, to feeding hungry people. This is the shopping list for M25. We collect it next week. I'm going to give you my suggestion. My suggestion is you get done with church, you go to the grocery store and you buy your groceries today. Buy them, put them in your car. Put them where your feet are so that after by next week you say, I just got to get these things into the church and get them out of here. Load up the groceries. They're not, there aren't mu- there's not much there. It doesn't cost a lot. But you need to know all of us participating is an incredibly tangible way. There's no question one of us doesn't have the impact all of us has. And so it's huge when we do this together. So by all means, jump in, participate with M25. Um, last thing, you see up here a backpack. I just use this as a, a reminder. We're collecting stuff, of course, for our handout, down, uh, handing out Sunday, our uh, summer jam, or I mean the, uh, the backpack giveaway back to school time uh, down at North Ave. We need specifically water bottles and backpacks, some lunch boxes as well. But as you heard uh, Katie talk, we need stuff. Now listen carefully. We never, we never have extra, ever. Everything you give goes out. And right now, backpacks are on sale just about everywhere. Water bottles, these are really two key ones. Other supplies, we'll take those as well. But my hope would be that you would be filling the boxes that we have out in the lobbies uh, in both campuses, fill them up. We'll pack them up. We'll get them out. It's an incredible, incredible day. And if you're down there, you see all these families come in uh, and, and utilize, need the resources we have. My hope is that you will participate in the, in the next couple of weeks with that. Final thing, you've got a card says it's you, just keep it close by, I'll reference it in a little bit. If you're wondering, you see some people with shirts on maybe with this, I'll reference it shortly and I'll explain it in just a bit, so keep it close by. Today we're going to get, continue on our series called Seven Steps. Um, I went through some of those things real quickly because I got a lot of ground to cover. We're in our series called Seven Steps, and it's our plan. It's the plan for Essex Alliance Church going forward. It's our action plan. Now, remember, we have a purpose statement. It's not the purpose statement. It's our action plan. Our purpose statement as a church is really straightforward. Help people become followers of Jesus. Help more people become followers of Jesus. Help people become better followers of Jesus. There's the purpose statement. It's really easy. It's really quite simple. We get it. But purpose is never enough, right? We can go through the purpose statement. We all know the purpose. We all leave. But how does the purpose get done? How does it get fulfilled? That's where the plan of action comes in. And that's what we're talking about. The seven steps that we're asking everyone in the church to join in. Everyone to participate in. Everyone to say, hey, I've got a part to play. And I'm going to follow the steps. And we're walking through what those steps are. It's the means by which we make the purpose happen and take place. So we've been talking about that. And we're on step number six. We started it last week. Going to be here for a couple of weeks. Let me read it for you. Put it on the screen. Step number six. The growing follower of Jesus joins in the community of the other followers of Jesus serving together based upon their God-given spiritual gifts, their talents, and their interests. We're talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about uh, taking the next steps and using your talents and your interests. But as we get back into the spiritual gifts part today, I want to highlight one key word from that statement I just read. And the key word might surprise you. It says that the growing follower of Jesus joins. The key word there, joins. That's so critical and so important. The starting place for belonging happens with that word join. I need you to remember that God wants for you, God longs for you to have a sense of fulfillment in your life. 
God wants for you that you would have a sense of purpose in life. God wants for you that you would have a sense of belonging and a sense of community. God wants all of that for you. He wants you to get up in the, in the, each morning, walk through that day, feeling as if you're part of something bigger than you, feeling as if you belong to a group or a team of people, feeling as if you have the sense of fulfillment that transcends this moment to the next moment and into eternity. God longs for that for you. And the beginning, all of that, the entrance point for belonging actually is the word joining. That's the starting place. The starting place for belonging, the starting place for community starts with you with the word join. Join what? Join in. Join in. Think about it. In every place in our lives, every area where you feel a sense of belonging, a sense of inclusion with other people, you will find at the core of that some kind of commonality. You'll find a cause, you'll find a ministry, you'll find a job, you'll find a mission, you'll find a task, but you'll find something at the center of any relationships where you feel like a belonging to a group of people, you will find at the center of that some kind of cause, some kind of task that you have joined in with. Now, not always do you join on purpose. You might feel a sense of, uh, you know, community with some coworkers that it's part of your job. I get that. You might be like me where, you know, you come home and your wife says, don't forget Wednesday night you're doing this. And I go, what, what happened? Well, she, she joined me in. You know, you know how that goes. A spouse will join you in. Volunteer for something. We do that with one another. I'll say to her, don't forget we're doing this. When did we say that? Well, we're going to join in. Sometimes it's deliberate. Sometimes someone else joins you in. But if you take the steps, you begin to realize that any sense of belonging you have is usually wrapped around some kind of commonality, some kind of task, something you do together. It's all the part of that joining in. You need to understand right up front, no secrets here. In the next three to four weeks, I'm going to be inviting you, challenging every person in the church to join in, to join in a small group. Come fall, we're going to have about a four or five week period of time. We're going to ask every adult in the church to be a part of a small group just for four weeks or five weeks. Very, very concise, very, very decided period of time for you to give it a try. We're going to be asking people next couple weeks to, to serve, find places in the church in which to serve, to give of your time. And that's why we're talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about asking people to join in. And I'll be asking that in these next couple weeks. But specifically, as I'm talking about spiritual gifts and serving, I am going to ask you to serve. But please hear this. Not to serve out of obligation. Not to serve because someone's forcing you. Not to serve out of guilt. I mean, how many of us serve or do things in our lives because someone has made us feel guilty? Not to serve out of guilt. Not to serve just because there's some huge need, though oftentimes need is a good starting place. But every time you've stepped into something just because the need was great, you usually don't stick with it because you're gonna, you know, it's not where you fit. So not just based on need, but asking you to serve in places by your choice, by your choosing. To ask you to serve with power, and to serve with a sense of fulfillment. Asking you to serve in such a way as where you're not burning out because you're weary. And you're not burning up because you're angry. You see what happens when you get put in a ministry that doesn't fit you and you don't like it? Guess what you get? You get angry. So we don't want you to burn out. We don't want you to burn up. We want you to serve with absolute joy and a sense of fulfillment. So last week we began talking about spiritual gifts. I want to continue that this morning where quite honestly I'm going to list some gifts for you today beginning the process of listing some gifts and defining them for you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we learned this last week, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have at least a spiritual gift. Probably more than one, but at least a spiritual gift. And we're going to walk through those gifts and begin to list them. A couple of things for you real quickly before I start that process. Now I got a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of gifts, and I got a short time to do it. How many would be willing for me to preach the next hour and a half to two hours nonstop just so I can get through many of those gifts? Just raise your hand if you're good with that. God bless the three of you that raised your hands. You know, you talk to me later. God's got a, God's got a big gifts for you guys. The rest of you, you're probably just real honest, so I appreciate that. I'll take that. Not going to do that, but I'm going to cover a lot of ground here, so stick with me as we walk through this and hear a couple of things. First of all, very sincerely, we can't, I don't have the time to do an exhaustive study on each of the gifts. In fact, I don't think that's necessary. 
In the New Testament church, they were all serving by their gifts. And guess what? They never had a lecture series on their spiritual gifts. So I don't think we need that. So we're not going to do that. Second thing I want you to know is that for some of you, you're thinking, oh, I wish you'd go deeper on that one. I can't, we don't have time to go deeper in each of the gifts. I might also say to you that as we'll go through them and give some definitions, some of you would say, oh, I think I would define that differently. That's okay. Because we've got room in God's word to define the gifts a little bit differently because don't forget, it's how they fit us and it's how God uses them in us in different ways and different capacities. And as we do that, don't get hung up on definitions or things like that because remember, God's plan for spiritual gifts was that you'd be empowered to serve him and he'll make sure you have the power to do it and you have the ability to do it. Now, let me give you a little warning. Some of you are going to be tempted. Some of you perhaps have already done this. Some of you are going to be tempted to go take a spiritual gifts test. They're out there. You can go on the internet nowadays. You know, it used to be that I had, I had a gift I could pass out. Nowadays, you can go and do a little search and you can find spiritual gifts tests on the internet where you can take and you get done and it will show you kind of where you're leaning in your spiritual gifts. I want to encourage you not to do that, at least not yet. I'll tell you why, a couple of things. First of all, For some of you, it's already a risk preaching on spiritual gifts because some of you are going to take the approach that says, okay, I'm not serving unless you hit the right gift. So not my gift, not my job, you do it. That's the wrong attitude because that's a little bit of a risk. And if you take some of these spiritual gifts tests, sometimes what happens for some of us is that we don't do anything until we get this gift and get this, this is the one. And then we don't do anything unless it's the one. That's not the way God designed it. That's first thing. So don't go there quite yet. The other part, and I've talked to people through the years that have taken multiple tests, and they come into my office and say, I, don't, I give up, which is it? I've taken like four different tests, I'm all over the map. And say, well, maybe don't use the test, maybe let's just talk to God about it. And then oftentimes, and then I'll say this, often I'll say, so why'd you take so many? Well, because I didn't like the first set. <laughs> you kind of go, what? Well, look, at they said this, I don't want that one. I kept going until I found one, and now I'm confused because I'm not sure which one. So listen, let's not go there. Because quite honestly, if you will be the biggest, the biggest thing you can do to enable God to unleash your spiritual gift is just be available. Just say, God, I'm just going to serve you. So save the tests for later. They, they can be helpful, but let's just save that. I'm going to talk about the gifts in categories. Our first category we'll talk about this morning are teaching gifts. Uh, not teaching gifts, but speaking gifts. The first category we'll look at, and we're going to cover a little, quite a bit of ground this morning, will be the category called speaking gifts. There's only two gifts we'll look at here, and then we'll go to that next category. And the first one is a gift that has a lot of confusion today. And the first speaking gift we'll talk about is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. We've listed for you already the different uh, uh, portions in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, verse 3 or 4, the different passages where you can find these gifts. And this first one, prophecy, is found in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, where it's lifted there. Don't forget, we're not looking at a list as this exhaustive list by God. These are just the explanations God gave and the storyline of people using their gifts, this gift of prophecy. We have great examples of, the, of, of prophets in the Old Testament. We go back and look, we've got prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Amos, and others. So we have a model, if you want to say that. We can look at what a prophet is or what they would do. And the prophets, if we go back and look at the Old Testament, their ministry consisted specifically to God's people. They weren't uh, ministering their, their prophetic words to the whole culture, but specifically within the culture of God's people. I'll say that the, within the culture of the church, though it wasn't the church back then, but within the Jewish community. They would watch and they would, they would analyze the condition of God's people. They were watching how the people lived. And I would also say they were among the people. They lived with the people. Uh, they didn't sit isolated, but they lived life. But they had this ability to look at the culture they were in, to look at the condition of people's lives, look at how they lived, look how they treated one another, look at their attitudes. And then if you read the scriptures, you'll find that God would then empower them to speak and to speak in such a way as to challenge the people how they lived to challenge their attitudes, to challenge the things that they were doing, to challenge the things that they were saying, to challenge God's people over and over again. We saw this through the Old Testament prophets. They would challenge God's people on living a better life. 
There's a better way to live. There's a better way to serve God. Don't go down that road. That road is going to lead you to trouble and destruction. Follow this path. That was the job. That was the ministry of the prophet. Now, the modern-day prophet, the gift of prophecy, we can use as a model going back into the Old Testament. And let me stop real quick and now give you a definition of prophecy, the way that I'll define it. And here it is. Prophecy is the God-given ability to proclaim God's truth in a timely, culturally sensitive way. I'm going to define the prophetic gift, the gift of prophecy, as the God-given ability to proclaim God's truth in a timely, culturally sensitive way. I'll explain as we go. Now, most often, the prophet speaks God's truth with such a view towards edification, towards building them up, towards correction, towards repentance, towards challenging people to be thinking through how they're living their life. This person that might have this gift usually has a very keen awareness of the culture. They have a very keen awareness of God's truth. They have a keen awareness of the church. And then they have the ability to take all of those observations and put put them into a, a proclamation where people hear it and they're moved to change, calling people to a closer walk with God. Now, literally, the word that we have in Scripture for prophecy means forthtelling, not foretelling. Make sure you get that difference. That's where some confusion comes because people hear that word prophetic and they talk about the foretelling of the future. Uh, what's going to happen tomorrow? That's not the definition we have in Scripture. The definition we have is a foretelling. It's the telling forth of truth, not predicting the future. We're not talking fortune tellers here. We're talking about God-based foretelling of, uh, foretelling of what God would have us to hear in the moment. The Apostle Paul gives a great description, 1 Corinthians 14. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, and for their comfort. So what that means is this. It means for us today that in God's church, now catch this, God will always make sure that the church has a conscience. Because a church will always give, God will always give within the church people who have this prophetic gift, this gift of prophecy, that have the ability to see the culture, see the culture of the church, understand scripture, and then to speak in such ways that challenge us as to how we think, challenge us on how we should live, and to do so in such a way that produces change. Now, here's kind of a part of the problem where we get some confusion. In the Old Testament, we had prophets prophet Isaiah, prophet Jeremiah. I mean, that's what they did. Not only did they give prophetic words, but they were by, def- they, they were by their job, their occupation, if you will, they're calling up, they were prophets. And we get a little trouble because in the New Testament, we don't have prophets as such. We have the gift of prophecy. It's very different. People that have prophetic gifts. Now, remember, we're not, it's, it's, a, it's a foretelling, not a predicting of the future. Diane sent me a cartoon this past week, or not a cartoon, but a, a couple of sl- different slides, uh, and just out of the blue, knowing I'm preaching on spiritual gifts, but she sent this, uh, this series of pictures, and it's a guy and a woman, they're in a car, they're driving, woman's in the back, guy's in front, he's driving, and out of the blue, this woman just says, prophecy. That's all she says, prophecy. And he's got this puzzled look, like, what's that about? And about a minute later, he's making conversation. So he goes, so what's your spiritual gift? And then the next slide has him with his eyes wide open, staring at her like, it's you. Now, I can tell by your response, you're a little slow to get how that transpired. She says prophecy a minute before he asks because she has the gift of prophecy. You know, in the first service, it didn't work either. And I was really hoping... I was really hoping this group would just run right with me on this one. But a lot of people get that confused because they think that prophecy is this prophetic word that I can tell the future. I can see what's going to happen. No, that's not the case. So listen carefully. Anyone that says to you that they can tell you the future, walk away. The fortune tellers and the people that would say, even the Christians that would say, I can tell you the future, walk away because that is not from God. You understand that? Walk away. I would also say, if you meet someone who says, well, I'm a prophet, walk away. Because what we find in the New Testament, when God has given the gift of prophecy, he has not given it to a person that would proclaim themselves as the prophet. But there's a moment where God speaks in a moment his truth. Let me give you an example. This brings a a, a beautiful light here very quickly. I've got a pastor friend who's recently retired who clearly has a prophetic gift. 
before, he, before we became friends, I knew of him, sat in different meetings with him, and he had a prophetic gift. He had the ability to discern the culture, discern the surroundings, discern scripture, and then speak into the moment. And what's interesting, we'd be in group dialogues and discussion. His name is Rock. And uh, we'd have group discussions and things, and Rock wouldn't speak much, didn't speak hardly at all, which I would also say is usually kind of walks hand in hand with the prophetic word. These aren't people that are just talking all the time. So when they talk, you listen. So we'd be in dialogues, and I, I got to know Rock pretty well now, so I know he's got a prophetic word to him. So whenever he would speak, I want to listen. Because he sees things, he hears things, he says things that isn't quite obvious. Now, this is well before COVID. This is years ago, and this new thing called streaming was happening. And pastors in our group were beginning to talk about we should be streaming our services. Now, since COVID, everybody and their brother streams a service because we had, we had to do that of necessity, and we see the value of it. But this is before any of that happened, and a couple of guys were talking about, hey, the new thing is streaming. We should be streaming our services. So we're talking about streaming. We're talking about how we can do that. And please know, I can give you the pros and cons of both. We can reach more people. People can see the church before they come. People on vacation, they get to see it. All the values of streaming, I get it. But in the middle of this conversation, rocks speaks and he says this he said clearly there's a new day a new technology that the church can use and without question we have to figure out how to utilize this new technology for the advancement of the kingdom and then he says this but I'm concerned for the vitality of the church and I'm concerned for the spiritual health of our churches and our Christians here it comes when we substitute a screen for the presence of God together in the room where we actually assemble ourselves together and meet and worship in God's presence. I'm concerned when we substitute that interaction together in worship and we substitute a screen. That, my friends, is a prophetic word. That's how it works. There was no condemnation. There's no judgment there. He's not saying, stop your streaming. Please know if you're watching right now and you're going, oh, we're going to stop the streaming. We'll, we'll keep streaming, but we are streaming knowing that if you are substituting that screen for this, you're losing out. And that was a prophetic word that even in that moment, long before that happened, there was a group of about 25 of us, guys that were going down that road that all of a sudden stopped and said, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. We need to be very very careful. That's the gift of prophecy. You might have that ability to speak prophetic words. Uh, you might have that sense. You, when you have a, a solid grip on God's truth, you have a pretty good grip on God's word. You have a, you're active in the life of the church. You have a pretty solid uh, kind of a grip on the, on the culture. And by that, I don't just mean you see the culture is bad. You understand everything in the context of the culture and have the ability in a moment to speak in such a way where people go, oh, I needed to hear that. Maybe that's your gift. Let's talk about the next speaking gift, which is the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching. Found in Romans 12, found in Ephesians 4, this gift of teaching. Now, with teaching will also include preaching. We'll call it one and the same, but teaching or preaching. Let me give you a definition for uh, the teacher. Teaching, the God-empowered ability to understand God's truth and accordingly, clearly explain and apply God's truth to the lives of the listeners. That ability to understand God's truth and then accordingly, clearly explain and apply God's truth in the lives of the listeners. Let me put, spend a quick moment on this word understands. It says that the good teacher, the empowered teacher, has the ability to understand God's word. Understanding is really important. You see, a good teacher can only effectively teach if they understand what they're teaching and have some experience to go with it. Now, here's the beauty of God's Holy Spirit. I told, I told you about this last week. Here I am as a young guy beginning to preach. I'm preaching to people who are more advanced than I am in their spiritual walk. They're older than I am. Everyone in the room, when I first started preaching, everyone in the room knew more than I knew. Well, how was it that I could speak and preach and somebody would say, ooh, that spoke to me? Uh, it wasn't me, that's God's Holy Spirit. So there's no question that's how the Spirit works. But I would step aside from this though and say, well, in teaching, I want to remind us that a good teacher, an effective teacher, um, really needs to understand and have experience to go with it. Let me give you an example. So our first child was due, we were pregnant with our first child. 
Uh, of course, years ago, and when, when, when Diane was pregnant with our daughter Sarah, Lamaze classes were just the new thing. Being in with labor and giving, being part of the birth process was a new thing. You know, just before that was the old days where the guys sat in a waiting room watching reruns of Gilligan's Island eating turkey sandwiches. I have to tell you, that was a very appealing picture. You know, when you're there and the nurse comes out and says, congratulations, it's a girl. And you go, woof, I'm exhausted. I kind of like that, that picture. But the new day came, and the new day came, and that is they were closing down waiting rooms because the guys are supposed to be in there. So we're talking, and Diane says, we're going to go to Lamaze class. Fantastic. I, will, I prefer it. So we're going to go to Lamaze. Now, to my defense, if you will, both, neither one of us are big up on big group things like that. I mean, so to be in the group, you know, give us the book, we'll read it, we'll be fine. But, you know, you got to go with the whole class. So neither one of us were really excited for the big group gathering, especially in a group where you're going to sit with 10 to 12 other couples you don't know, and you're going to sit in a circle, and someone's going to tell you how to breathe like a dog, how to pant like a dog. You know, <laughs> you know that's just a, that wasn't fun for us. So you're sitting in these circles, and we're there, and we're talking, and we're, you know, doing the different stuff. And then what's even worse, you have to go and practice. Oh, and both of us were the same. You know, we'd be there. We look at the. We look at it. It's like it's Tuesday night. We got to go to Lamaze class. It's like it's, it's, the class starts at seven o'clock. It's five thirty, and we'd say, we should practice. I mean, all week we haven't done anything, but we should practice. So there we are in the living room. We're reading the flyer, you know. And I'm going, Diane, you gotta, you know, don't don't tell me how to breathe. I'm just telling you the book says to breathe, you know. And, and neither of us, none of us want to do this. But we have this rational thought that says we can either embarrass ourselves here or we go there and sit in the circle and be really embarrassed. So we went through our thing. But here's the deal. So neither one of them, we don't want to be there. We're there the first week. And the very first week, something's not right. And I, at one point, I look at Diane and I go, something's not right here. And she goes, you know, I'm whispering. And she goes, you, you're not right. And I, and I go, that could be true. That could be true. Um, but something's not right. We go home, we talk. Eh, not right. So we go back the next week and we're there. And we're about 10 minutes in. And she's sitting in front of me. We're doing our breathing deal. She's sitting in front of me. And I lean into her ear and I say, I got it. She goes, what? I go, the instructor. She's never had a baby. <laughs> she goes, stop it. So we go, and about 20 minutes later, she's talking about herself, the instructor for the mod class, and she says, you know, I've never given birth. I told you! <laughs> never give birth. Now, please hear this very, very carefully. She could still teach, but it lacked understanding, and it lacked experience. Now, let's take that on a spiritual level here for just a moment. On a spiritual level, as we look at those pieces, the spiritually gifted teacher, God gives the ability to understand his word and to experience God's truth in such a way as to then turn around and to be able to pass those truths and pass that understanding along to the listeners. God gives the ability for them to hear God's truth, process it, understand it, experience it in such a way that then to the listener, they can relay that and the listener goes, ah, I see it, I get it. You see, prophecy, now catch this, prophecy speaks into a moment of time and opens the eyes of the people kind of in a startling moment to that which they were blind to. The teacher, over a period of time, systematically just teaches the truth. Prophetic words for the moment. Teacher for the long haul. The teacher has that, that instructional approach that is maybe less confrontational and more nurturing along the way. The prophetic gift has to be quick and urgent because it senses something amiss. God's means of keeping us on out of trouble is teaching. God's means for getting us out of trouble is prophetic. Keeping us out is the teaching piece. I was in college, we, had a, well, we were doing a fundraiser and we needed a place for all of us to go as a whole soccer team and work uh, without having to put a lot of effort time in. And just down from the college, there was a plant called the Green, Green Giant uh, Processing Plant. Green Giant plant, plant there processed corn, peas, beans, whatever, as the season came and they were in corn season. And it was a place where you didn't have to apply to work, you just walked in. Every day, 
Every day, anyone who wanted to work could have a job. You walked in, you signed the paperwork, you sat down, they gave you a 45-minute kind of instructional safety deal, and then they'd read off your name, and they'd take you off to different sections. It was a massive building. So we all went as a team. We did it. We went through the instructional piece, which was kind of boring. So I kind of tuned out, waited for my name. They took me up to the place where, I mean, up in the bowels of this huge factory, my job was there was a conveyor belt coming this way full of corn, sweet corn husked sweet corn. My job was to take it off of this belt, which is just piled there. And there's another belt going this way with individual little holders. My job is to take the corn off, lay it perfectly in, in line in this little holder, because it was going to go to the machine that would cut the ends off to get you your corn on the cob. And all the ends that would be cut off, or if I saw a bad ear corn, it would go down a little hole into the cream corn bin. Just give it a little word here. Don't buy the cream corn. <laughs> Telling you right now, you like cream corn, you make your own cream corn. Don't buy the cream corn. I've been there. And so you're doing this corn, and you're doing the corn as fast as you can because it doesn't stop. There's a line of you. And I'm, I'm the only person who speaks English. Everyone around me speaks Spanish, and I'm trying to communicate. So it's, you're kind of alone. But you're working as fast as you can because it doesn't stop. The corn doesn't stop. You know, it's like the old Lucy you know, show. Remember the chocolates? I mean, it doesn't stop. Well, there's this line. There's these red lines that perfectly light up where the, where the cut's going to be. So to make sure your corn is lined up. This is kind of early, I'm dating myself, early days of laser technology being put to use. And I couldn't figure out where the light was coming from. I mean, because I just, it was just there. And I, so as I'm working, I'm, you know, you're trying to find the thing. I finally figure out that it's kind of this odd angle. And so when there's a quick break, I go over and I'm bending down to look up at it. And just as I do, this guy next to me grabs my head and pushes my head down and starts screaming at me. And I don't understand what he's saying. I just think I've offended him and somehow. So he's shouting at me and I'm just like, I'm back to my corn. And a little bit later, that's passed. I go, man, what one odd guy. And so bad in my corn, and I start to do it again. Does the same thing and starts screaming. I still haven't connected the dots until a guy across the way, over all the noise, starts shouting back. He's telling you, don't look at the light. It will blind you. Here's the point. If I had been a good student in the class, I wouldn't have needed the prophet right next to me. You see, good students will always need a teacher and always want a teacher. But good students, they seldom need the prophet. Because that's what the teacher does. That's what the teaching does. The teaching teaches you along the way how to stay out of trouble. But because I wasn't a good student, then God sends the prophet for the moment of waking us up. So here's my statement to you along the way. As we, as you might be one of those people in that, the prophetic sense. You're a follower of Jesus. You have a hunger and appetite for studying God's word. You love to study, to prepare. It's fun. Um, you, you have a longer view of the picture than just the moment. That's that teaching piece. That's an ability to teach and to speak into people's lives. That's the ability to challenge them and to grow. Followers of Jesus. What kind of people, what kind of, which of us might be those folks that have this, this ability in our lives to be that prophetic word, the people that see the danger and can speak into it quickly. The teacher keeps us on track and keeps us safe along the way where the prophetic word speaks in the moment to protect us and to guard us. Listen very carefully that oftentimes in the church's life, we need the prophets and the teachers. Not often, we always need them. But the better students you are, the deeper you grow, and the better you walk with God without the fear of catastrophe happening. Now, oftentimes, these gifts that can happen can be seen as, as big, group, big, group, uh, big group gifts, like the teaching gift, the prophetic word. I want to be up front. I want to be in front of the lectern. But I have to tell you, all through the church's ministry, one-to-one -one places for prophetic word, one-to-one -one places for teaching. You may never teach in the large group. You never be, be in front of a lectern, but there's a place for you in that teaching ministry, in that speaking into people's lives. Maybe that's you. And let me jump real quickly for just a few, few moments. I'm going to wrap up and give application. But let me just jump from the speaking gifts, the teaching gifts and, and, and the prophetic gifts into a second category called people intensive gifts. Admittedly, when we talk about people intensive gifts, you're going to find a lot of us begin to resonate with this area. 
The people intensive gifts, these are the people that we really like relationships. We're really wired for relationships. Oftentimes the teachers can be removed. Oftentimes the prophetic word can be a little bit removed. Now, as a teacher, you can't be completely removed, but when it comes to people intensive, man, you thrive on the relationships. No lectern for you. You know, you don't want to be up in front of a group and separated. You want to be right with people. That's the people intensive gifts. And I'm going to look at just two of them this morning, and then I'll close and give us application. The first of these teaching gifts we're going to call the gift of shepherding. The gift of shepherding, or if you take notes, you can talk at pastoring, shepherding and pastoring, found in Ephesians chapter 4. And you can substitute either word because that word pastor means shepherd, and the idea of shepherding gives us pastoring look. Let me give to you a definition real quickly, and the definition is this. The definition of shepherding or pastoring is the divine desire and its ability to provide leadership, care, and nurture to individuals or groups as they grow in their faith. We'll leave it up there if you want to take notes. But it, it is that divine desire and the ability to provide leadership, care, and nurture to individuals or groups as they grow in their faith. Usually, I should say, over a period of time. It's kind of a long-haul gift, if you will. You see, in every group of believers, God places people with the gifts of shepherding. In every group of believers, God places people with that gift of shepherding or pastoring. You see, it's in the shepherding gift that people receive love and care and encouragement and nurturing over a long period of time, just like sheep receive care from a shepherd. A person with the pastoral gift of, of, of this gift of shepherding or pastoring, they, they kind of really enjoy the idea of, of, of spiritual parenting. Admittedly, from some of us who are parents, every one of us love our kids and love some roles of parenting. But admittedly, there are some that can't wait to get done of that, the responsibility of parenting. Just when you got it right, the, the kids go wrong. And you kind of, you're always, you know, when's the challenge ever stop? Well, the challenge never stops, right? But for the spiritual side of this gift, these are people that just love that, that ongoing parenting piece of the spiritual realm. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says this about people. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, you know, you guys should have been grown up by now, but you're still drinking milk. You should be eating solid food, but you're still stuck. And the spiritual parent, they love to be with a group of people. They pray for them. They watch over them. They care for them. They encourage them. They challenge them. Joyfully, they watch them grow. They watch them walk. They watch them run in their faith. And I would also say they watch them fail. And in the same way, they run over to help pick them up and to brush them off and to get them back in the game with their walk with God. Most biblical scholars believe that the gift embodies a number of spiritual gifts. Most, uh, most students of Scripture would say that this shepherding gift or this pastoring gift is not just a gift, but has this embodiment of teaching, prophecy, wisdom, discernment, compassion, mercy. You can see it. They all fit together. Just like in parenting, they all fit together. This is a gift, not a, just remember, this is a gift, not a person. See, there's the mistake, is that oftentimes we hear a gift of pastoring and you go, oh, it's the pastor's gift. And just so you know, this is a gift. It's not a pastor. It's not a role. This is a gift that God gives. It's the action of pastoring. It's not a noun. It's the action of pastoring. Many of you, perhaps like me, grew up in a smaller church. The church I grew up, to, grew up with, a smaller church, a tight little group of people. And in my church growing up, the pastor of the church, he certainly could pastor everyone because it was a smaller group of people. But in a church of our size, the lead pastor can't possibly be the pastor or the shepherd, if you will, to so many people. So some of you think, well, what does that mean? The church is too large? No, that can't be right because we don't even look anything the size as it was in the New Testament when thousands of people came to Jesus every day. So it's not about the church being too big. What it's about is that God's plan works beautifully. And that is that God calls people into the church. And as he calls them into the church, and as the church grows, he empowers and gifts multiple shepherds, multiple pastors within the body. And they don't have to be the professional pastor, if you will. Here's my statement for you. Do you realize that every single ministry in this church, every men's ministry, every women's ministry, every small group, every ministry in the church needs some people with these gifts of shepherding and pastoring? Every group needs someone that will step into that role and say, yeah, that's my area. That's my gift. What kind of people have this gift? People with nurturing kind of instincts. Maybe you're a nurturer. You might have that gift. 
People that like, relate, like, that like people. That'd be helpful. Um, that you are relational and you actually like to be around people. Now, if you don't like to be around people, come talk to me because we have some other counseling we have to do for you. But other than that, it needs to be people that are relational in nature. And in that way, maybe you're that type of person. I oftentimes describe this pastoring gift as a tugboat gift, not a speedboat gift. And meaning the kind of role you have is the tugboat that comes alongside and just kind of plods along and keeps steady and keeps people going. As opposed to the speedboat where, you know, hope you're doing all right. Check you on the way back. Nope, this is the person that has that gift, long haul with people that wants to see them grow, wants to see them develop. Maybe that's you. Let me give you one last gift and then I'm, I'll wrap it up with application. One last gift we'll look at real quick is the gift of evangelism. This doesn't mean looking like Billy Graham. The gift of evangelism doesn't mean that you have the ability to stand up and preach and have thousands come to Jesus. No, it doesn't mean that. Let me give you a definition. The gift of, of evangelism, it's the God-given desire and ability to effectively communicate the message of Jesus Christ to people who are spiritually unresolved. So make sure that you just read that and drink that in for a minute. The God-given desire and the ability to effectively communicate the message of Jesus Christ to people who are spiritually unresolved. Now remember, every one of us have our responsibility to live out step one we talked about. Every one of us have the responsibility to have multiple relationships of integrity with people. We just love people because they matter to God. We have that. It's our, every one of our jobs. It's our job to tell the story of Jesus. No, one's, no one escapes that. But with the person with the gift of evangelism, they see the world differently. He or she sees the world with a whole different view and a whole different perspective. I'm going to say that we see the world with that view because one of my spiritual gifts is evangelism. And so I even define it because I, I see how it works in my life as I've seen it in others. So I'll say the word we. We view the world differently, admittedly. And just stick with me for a moment. While, others sees the, while other people see the world as hopeless, while other people look at the world and see the stuff that's happening and the laws being passed, the things being done, and shake their heads almost with anger towards the world, shaking their head at this cultural acceptance of things and all of those things, they see, they see it almost with an anger what's taking place. The, the evangelist type people like me, we look at that world and go, oh, hopeless and helpless people like sheep without a shepherd. Who are they going to believe if we're not telling the story? When we see the world going in the wrong direction and we think, man, what a horrible place to live, the evangelists among us say, man, what a great place to live and what a great time to live it. Well, I've shared this before with a smile on my face, but when you get the, the annual study that's done and it comes back every year that says that, that uh, uh, the state of Vermont is the least spiritual state in the country and Chittenden County is the least spiritual county in the state of Vermont. And you hear me joke when I say that means we're number one. I kind of mean it. Because you see, where some of us look at that and we think, oh, I can't wait to move someplace in the Bible Belt where there's Christians everywhere. I look and I say, man, why would I want to leave any place but here? Because here we have a story to tell. And people are just as hungry for the story. They're just tired of church. They're just tired of Christians that don't look like, like Jesus. And so we evangelists, we look at it differently. And the person with that gift of evangelism, they have this ability to present the message of Jesus in such a way, such an understandable way, that they, the, the person they're talking to wants to lean in. Yeah, the person that has that gift of evangelism starts to tell the story, and the person they're talking to wants to lean in, and they really want to believe. I'll say another thing, which would probably get me in trouble, but please accept it in the right way. The person with the gift of evangelism would usually just rather be with a bunch of non-Christians and Christians. Um, you know, if you give me a choice of 1,000 Christians, 1,000 non-Christians, I, I choose the group of non-Christians every time. I just, I just love being with them. I love how they think, how they talk. I love that challenging dialogue. This is the part that'll get me in trouble. So if, 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 if I'm going to get in trouble, talk to me right after. Don't make me wait all week for an email. Just come talk to me right after. Um, a number of years ago, I met a woman out in the lobby. She'd just come back from a Christian cruise, 10-day Christian cruise. For 10 days, um, every, every day, Christian speakers, Christian music artists, every day, Christians, 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 the whole thing, Christian crews. She was so excited. She came to me and she says, Pastor, I've been waiting to talk to you. I just came back from the Christian cruise, the greatest thing. And she said, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to send you on the Christian cruise next year. 
And I'm kind of joking around, and, I'm, and, she's, and as she's talking, I realize she's serious. And in my mind, all I can think of is, oh, that sounds like hell on the high seas to me. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh. And she can see me look like, oh. And then she goes, you don't want to go, do you? And I'm going, did it show? Uh, I said, no, that just wouldn't, that wouldn't be my place. I wouldn't, that would not be my place of comfort. Uh, I'd rather be, I'd rather be in the cruise just with everybody who doesn't know Jesus because there's the place to have the dialogue and the, and the, the discussions. Now, please know if, if you're booked for a Christian cruise, forgive me <laughs> and be free. But I'm telling you, that's the evangelist side. We see it a little bit differently. And so when, I, when I'm with folks, I begin to think in a different statement, a different way of processing, if you will. And please know that when we talk about evangelists, we're not talking about high-pressure salespeople. Some of you feel, hear that, you, that's what you think. I was chatting with a woman one time, and she just said, point blank, she said, you're nothing but a used car salesman. So first of all, if you are a used car salesman, she said it, I did not. And I actually took it in a more positive way because when she said it to me, I said something to this effect. I said, well, thank you. I love the thought that you see me as someone who's trying to convince you to try something that other people have tried, other people have broken it in, other people have found it to be reliable and faithful, and on top of that, it's a good deal. And she just looked at me because I know that's not how she met the used car salesman. (laughs) I said, but that's how I see that. That's not high pressure. Let me end with this. I worked at IBM one summer in college. I got my little department that I was going to work for. I got there and I found there was one guy in that department that was one of these high pressure, take no prisoners, Christian salesmen. That one guy had turned 100 people off to God. They wanted nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christianity because he just went at them. Friends, the evangelist has this ability to effectively tell the story of Jesus in such a way that even the person that seemed disinterested wants to lean in and think, I really want to believe. Maybe that's your gift. But let me stop there because we've got a lot more gifts to go. And with that, find your card, if you would, for just a moment. Find your, it's you. The next three to four weeks, as we're talking about spiritual gifts and serving, uh, I want you to know here's our theme, it's you. For some of you that are in the church, you have never given your life over to Jesus Christ. You've never said, all right, Jesus, all in. I'll make you my Savior, you my Lord. Just so you know, it's you that he's been looking for. It's you he's been longing for. It's you he's been chasing after. It's you that he's just been saying, oh, I can't wait for you to come and follow me. It's you. And I would just say, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, give your life over to him and discover the joy that happens when you realize that you have a God, the creator of the world who goes, it's you that I'm in love with. But there's more than that. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, do you know it's you that God has destined to change the world? It's you that God has gifted. It's you that God has empowered. It's you that he's been waiting for to experience joy and fulfillment. It's you. And so that's our theme for the next couple of weeks. It's you. And what I'm going to ask you to do, every person, is to stop and say, Lord, where? Where do you want to use me? Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to start joining in for that sense of belonging? And you can start the process a couple of ways. Number one, a QR code. Take your phone, scan it. It will take you to a page that lists all the areas right now in the church where you can serve. Um, you say, ah, I'm not a QR code person. Okay, well, fill out the card. Fill out the card, taking to the table and back. There's a table back there. You'll see it with a big banner that says it's you. You see people wearing shirts. Some of our leaders are wearing shirts. It's you. Or you go to our website, and it'll take you to the exact same page where you can say, let me just start looking to see. Now, listen, if you fill something out online or you fill out the card, that doesn't commit you. Some of you are scared to death like I am. If I give you my name, boom, all right, I'm the director of the ministry. Nope, you're not. You fill it out, what's going to happen is this. Within, my hope would be within 24 to 48 hours, vacations and all the stuff are in there, you'll get a follow-up call from someone, a note that says, hey, thanks. Uh, I oversee this ministry, and I just want you to know, I'd like to get together with some time. Just tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're looking for. 
Let me answer any questions you have. Start the process of figuring out the place and where to serve and what that might look like. Next three or four weeks, four weeks we're going to be asking people to say, you know what? I'm in. Because it really is you. And that's the way you can do this. Now, let me finish with this story. I have in my hand an album. That means nothing to you. It means something to me, but the story behind it is what's meaning. My mom and dad came to Jesus in roughly 1958. Um, they had children already, had three children, and they came to Jesus, went to a local church in Endicott, New York, was where they found Jesus. And they were in that church from 1958 roughly to 1984. So 26, 27 years, they, that was the church. They served in that church. They worked in that church. We kids grew up in that church. And then my dad got an early retirement that he could take. He took it, and they packed up, and they moved to Florida. And when they left the church that they had been in for 26, 27 years, the whole church threw a farewell party for them. And the whole church put together an album for them. And when my mom had died two years ago, my sister going through the thing said, hey, you might like this album, Look, take a look at it. So I have it into my office, have gone through it, it's been at home. And as I went through it, uh, picture after picture of people. Here's the pastor in the church that was when they left. Here's the pastor that was there before. Here's the pastor that was there previously. All these people sent pictures and stories about impact, of my mom and dad, of their lives, the places they served. And on top of that, all sorts of people that I don't even recognize. Of course, I was gone. But all these people that wrote notes and sent their picture along saying, thank you. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for how you've changed my life. And all those things. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself this. Now stick with me. My mom and dad didn't have a college education. My mom and dad weren't strong, gifted leaders they didn't stand up in front and preach and teach. Nope. You know what they did? In 1958, 59, 60, somewhere in the beginning, you know the only thing they did? They just joined in. They didn't have a spiritual gift test. I have no doubt over the years they figured out their gifts and they had them and didn't have them. We knew my dad was not an upfront person. When he would have to go up front on, you know, because somebody couldn't do it, as a family, we'd throw our heads down and pray, say, oh, Lord, that's not to get him out of there. Because <laughs> that wasn't his gift. But these were, listen, these people in the scope of the whole world, they were nobody that would be recognized like this, except they joined in. And here's the statement for every person here. You want a sense of belonging? You want a sense of commitment? I'll show you page after page after page after page after page of people and members of that church that all looked at those slocums and said, they and we belong together. And the only thing that started it was they said, I'm in. Tell me where to serve. The beginning of belonging starts by you joining. So you got next three or four weeks. We want to invite you. Come along. Join us. Stand, please. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for calling me, gifting me, without question, gifting us. I got it. But just the idea that you would call me to follow you. Thank you for that. I look around this room, I, I believe with all my heart that in these next few weeks, in these next few months, in the year ahead of us, more people than ever are going to join in. They're going to feel a sense of belonging like they've never had simply because they're going to say yes to you. Help them not get wrapped up in a gift, specific gift. We're going to look at them. We'll give some understanding. But might they just say, Lord, here's my, here's my, my interest. Here's the things I like. Here's some of my ability. And here's some of the needs I see. I'm just going to start. And may they experience that sense of belonging and community that you have longed for them to have. We look forward to see what you do in our lives the next couple of weeks. And we get to be a part of your kingdom. So thank you. Dismiss us today in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.